turn your Bibles to the Lucan Gospel, chapter 2. We continue our sermon series from Luke's Gospel. We close out chapter 2 today. Last week we did the classic story passage of the birth of our Lord in Bethlehem. Today we finish out the second chapter of Luke's Gospel. We'll begin reading in verse 25. Verse 26, follow along with me. Listen as I read Luke 2, 25. And behold, there was in Jerusalem, whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ, verse 33. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about Jesus, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with a husband seven years after a marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84, and she never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. That very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Jesus to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon was steeped in all the traditions of Israel and yet still willing, even seeking a new word from God. Besides what we read here, we really don't know anything else at all about Simeon in Scripture. And no one else in Israel knew the time or the season when God would send his son, the Holy One of Israel. But there was one old man named Simeon who knew the season was approaching. He could at least ascertain with some accuracy the probable time for the birth of the baby. I don't know when God promised it. I don't know how God promised it. But at some point, in some way, God had told Simeon that Simeon himself would see the Christ before he died. And old as he is, Simeon knows it must be soon. Was he often standing on the top steps of the temple, looking at the faces of couples and babies as they brought them to the temple, thinking, is this the one? Is that the one? Is this the Christ? Would this be the baby? Well, one day, a holy day unlike any other day, the Holy Spirit literally drove Simeon to the temple that's him, Simeon, said the Spirit. That, that is he. That's the one. That's the baby you've been waiting for. The special gift. My greatest gift. I picture him as an elderly gentleman who sort of springs himself on the young couple and takes the baby out of Mary's arms. His face is as lined as a road map of Jerusalem. He grins and his face crackles and, well, he takes the holy child into his hands. We all know the, the wonder of holding a new baby. But this wasn't an ordinary baby. This is one for whom Simeon had been waiting for his whole life. 
The scripture says when at last Simeon had the baby in his hands, he threw back his head and he began to sing a cappella praises to God. Now, some think he had prepared that song years before so he would have it ready on the top of his mind, on the tip of his tongue when the day came that he held the Christ child. But I don't think so. I think the song was of the moment, music of the moment. It was spirit-filled, and Simeon was free as he sang. Both Simeon and Anna were willing to hear a new word from the Lord. Anna's an elderly lady about 84 years of age who just stayed around the temple after she was widowed and she prayed and she fasted. There are a lot of older women whose ministry in this church is prayer and that's the most important of all ministries. It's a powerful ministry. And Anna had prayed for God to send his salvation And when she got around the baby, she too knew the prophetess Anna knew, just like Simeon and his song. And she began giving thanks to God and everyone she spoke to who was looking for the redemption of Israel. Verse 39. They had been obedient to the decree of emperor that went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And so Mary and Joseph had been obedient to the decree of Rome and going to sign up for the census. But now Mary and Joseph are obedient to the law of Moses in traveling to Jerusalem in our story today to fulfill their religious obligations. Even at the earliest age, everything about Jesus is an extension of Judaism. Forty days... After Jesus' birth, the new parents travel with their infant son to the purification to the law of Moses. The process ordinarily involved three different parts. The first part, Mary's purification involving a pair of doves or pigeons in the court of women. The redemption of the firstborn, which involved paying five shekels. And then the consecration of the firstborn from 1 Samuel. Luke doesn't mention the second event, and some scholars argue that Jesus was already holy and and didn't need to be redeemed. But either way, the main emphasis is clear here. The family was both pious and obedient, fulfilling the commands of God and the law of Moses. Following Simeon and Anna's revelations concerning the identity of the infant, the family returns to their village in Nazareth, And Luke summarizes the life of Jesus when he writes, look there in verse 40. And the child continued to grow and became strong, increasing in wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. This section which begins with obedience to the law of Moses ends with the grace of God there in verse 40. The grace of God was upon him. Look at verse 41. And his parents used to go to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And of course, the piety of a Jewish family, they met their Jewish obligations by traveling to Jerusalem for the feast. In fact, the uh, Jewish male was to go to Jerusalem three times a year, the Passover, the Pentecost, the Tabernacles. They were to go. This would have happened sometime in March or early April. 
And this year by year traveling to Jerusalem for to go to the holy place of worship reminds us of the book of Samuel when Eli and Hannah, they go year after year in rhythm to worship. Passover was the beginning of a seven-day festival known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Passover called upon God's people to remember that God had liberated them from Egyptian bondage. Despite God's command of Pharaoh, let my people go, Pharaoh hardened his heart and stiffened his neck. And as a result, God sent 10 plagues. And the last of those 10 plagues, you remember, was the death of the firstborn, including Pharaoh's own son. But as the death angel came over the land of Egypt, the people of God had marked their door with the blood of the lamb, and therefore the death angel passed over the homes of God's people, passed over. So they celebrated Passover because they had been spared death, the plague, the tenth plague, and the death of the firstborn. And the very exodus was at the center of all of Israel's faith and all that she was, that they served a God who heard the cries of his people and a God who delivered them from Egyptian bondage. Listen to Exodus 12 as I read it. You shall preserve this ordinance for you and your children forever. And when you go to the land the Lord will give you as he's promised, you shall observe this right. When your children say to you, what does this mean? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but he spared our homes. This was the center of the Jewish faith. They were to repeat it year after year, and Jesus and his family are going to Jerusalem for the Passover so they can teach about the deliverance of God from Egypt. It was necessary to go to Jerusalem because the Passover was never to be observed outside of Jerusalem. We should take note. There's another Passover in Luke's gospel, and the next Passover is at the very end of the gospel. The first Passover, young Jesus journeys to Jerusalem. He teaches in the temple. And the last Passover, Jesus journeys to Jerusalem, and he teaches in the temple. But on this Last Passover, the death angel will not pass over God's firstborn. He will die on the cross, and he will become the Passover lamb himself. Celebrating a greater liberation, not just from Egyptian bondage, but from the law and sin and death. Look at verse 42. And when he became 12, he went up there according to the custom of the feast. At age 13, a Jewish boy became obligated to observe the law. At age 12, a Jewish lad was to enter a phase of discernment, preparing himself to become a bar mitzvah, a son of the law, the covenant, the next year. And even as Luke tells this story about Jesus in his 12th year, surely he knew in literature in that time, there are a lot of stories about famous men when they were age 12. There's a story out there about Cyrus when he's 12 and Samuel when he's 12 and Epicurus and Solomon and Daniel and Alexander the Great and Moses all have stories about when they're age 12 circulating. Look at verse 43 and 44. And as they were returning... After spending the full number of days, 
The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Here's the kicker. And his parents were unaware of it. But supposed him to be in the caravan. And when a day's journey, they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. I did a funeral for a Baptist minister. It was a minister of music for a while by the name of Ted Roberts. And well, when we were sharing stories with the family about their deceased dad, his youngest daughter, Carla. Now, the dad lived to be in his late 90s, like 98 years of age. And so she had remembered her whole life, the story about her dad. She remembered that she was left at church by her parents, that they all just went home and, and left little Carla in the nursery. You might think she's three or four. Well, yeah, well, I guess 93 years later, she's still kind of scarred from this being left, <laughs> left at church. He was the last one every Sunday to pick up his preschooler. I don't know why, but minister musics are always the last ones to leave the church. I don't know if they have to drain the baptistry or what they have to do, but Dan is always the last one. Ted was the last one to leave the church. And so the nursery worker didn't think it all that unusual that Ted was a little bit late to pick up little Carla, but the longer that it, it, he tarried, the, fall, the call finally came to the Roberts home. Remember, no cell phones back then. Uh, did y'all forget something up here at the church? Oh, oh, oh my. The wife, Bo, thought that Ted was in charge of little Carla. And Ted thought, well, you each blame the other. You know, they were both responsible. He was sure that Bo would bring Carla home that Sunday. No harm was done, really. But being left in God's house was something that little Carla kept in her mind for all those years. Perhaps leaving Jesus behind happened something like that. The family starts traveling with the caravan the way it went, just like now kids wanted to be together. And really, the caravan protected all the kids as they traveled together. The parents more to the front, the kids to the back, but some parents ha would hang back. And it was just a time to be with cousins and friends and neighbors as you traveled back to Nazareth. And it was, well, it was just customary for the caravan, the community to sort of raise the children all together. And they travel for a whole day. And Mary faces reality when they go to camp and she looks at Joseph and she says go get Jesus it's time to camp and Joseph says no 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 Mary uh, you, no 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 you you were you 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 were in charge of Jesus I, I I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure sure of that Mary I can't imagine the conversation that ensued and I know Mary is holy and sweet and all those things but I can tell you Joseph got a chewing on that day you can just be sure of that. Look at verse 45. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. There's a somberness to those words. They did not find him, and they were looking for him. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, when they go to the tomb, they will not find him, and they will be looking for him. Luke's booking, booking, putting bookends on this story. You get it, don't you? They were looking for him, but they could not find him. At a fairly recent vacation Bible school at First Baptist Church, 
we have a family fun night and we were out there on the lawn, the football field. And well, we had about 25 different blow ups and 1200 hot dogs and 400 pieces of pizza and 200 barbecue sandwiches and 2000 people milling around and everybody's in charge of their own kids during family fun night. It's the evening in Bible school. And all of a sudden we see the frantic faces of one family. They have misplaced, they have lost their youngest daughter. The on-site security team is immediately alerted. The staff all receive a text. We begin a organized movement looking for the little child. And it was, it was just a few minutes. It's seems like forever when you don't know where your children are but in reality it was just a few minutes and the child of course was okay it just followed a friend over to a different blow up there and after the little girl was found safe and sound I said to the family the mom and dad you'll never read the story about Mary and Joseph losing Jesus the same way again and I said you're right it is a mistake to think that Mary and Joseph in that culture cared less about their children than you care about yours. Mary was just as frantic. Joseph was just as panicked. And I said to them that evening, now you lost your child for about 12 minutes and Mary and Joseph didn't know for three days of trying to find Jesus. Look at verse 46. And it came about after three days. There's our words. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Son, why did you do this to us? After three days, the illusion is too large to miss. Three days would include a day of travel away from Jerusalem, setting up camp that night and realizing that, well, they didn't know where Jesus was. He wasn't back with the kids in the caravan. Then traveling back a whole nother day back to Jerusalem, then searching the city and finding him on the third day. Surely Luke wants his reader to hear these words after three days. It's after three days that Jesus is found alive after his death. In fact, that frantic searching for Jesus and looking for him, when they go to the tomb, they cannot find him. His body's gone. We don't know where they've laid him. And that search at the end of the Gospels. And then after three days, after three days, He's found. Luke, like any great writer or playwright, foreshadows the end and the very beginning. After three days, Jesus is found. When they finally find the boy Jesus in the temple, he's sitting amidst the scribes, dialoguing with the teachers. And some see verse 46 as the very climax of the story when he is found among the teachers, sitting in the midst of the teachers. In fact, this story has 170 words in the Greek text. And if you, uh, among the teachers is the center of the 170 words. There's an equal number of words before among the teachers. There's an equal number of words after among the teachers. And right there in the center of the story, where do we find Jesus at age 12? He is a teacher 
of God's word. He's sitting among the teachers. In verse 47, all who heard boy Jesus were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now the word amazed is a word that is used in Luke's gospel for rare moments of the supernatural intervention of God. They were amazed at what Jesus had to say and what he did. In fact, in Luke chapter 8, 56, when the parents of the young girl, when their daughter is brought back from the dead to life again, it is said in Luke's gospel that the parents were amazed. Or in Luke 24, disciples on the road to Emmaus tell the story of the women going to the tomb, but they found no corpse. And the angels said that he had risen and the women were amazed. There's a word again. Or in Luke's second volume in Acts chapter 2, the crowd is amazed as the Holy Spirit falls upon the church and the apostles preach in such a way that everyone from every nation hears the gospel in his or her own language. And it says the crowd is amazed. When Luke tells you either in his gospel or in the Acts of the Apostles that somebody's amazed, it means God is working. They are amazed that a 12-year-old can hold his own with the scribes and the Pharisees. Verse 48, they declare their desperation. Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Why have you done this to us? It's a natural rhythm for a family finally finding a lost child to rebuke the runaway. What have you done? Do you not know what trouble you've caused? We're upset, but he's not sitting on the sidelines in silence. He's in the midst of the temple in conversation. Look at verse 49. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? This, I had to be, is a Greek construction. It means it is necessary. It is necessary. You have disappointed your father, Joseph, Mary is saying. Why have you treated your father that way? And Jesus says, yes, but I have another father with another agenda. And I have to be about that heavenly father's business. It is necessary. Back in Luke 9, 22, Jesus will say, using the same construction, it is necessary that I be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. It is necessary. It is necessary. I had to be in my father's house. The word house really isn't even there. In fact, in my text, it's in italics because it's implied perhaps, but it's not there. It's not so much I have to be in my father's house as I have to be about my father's business. I had to be doing what God the Father called me to do. Look at 50 through 52. And they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. They don't get it. Mary and Joseph don't get it. And they went down, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and continued in subjection to them. And Mary, reflective of back 219, treasures things in her heart. Notice she does it again. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus, here's our bookend, 
just like we started. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and statue and in favor with God. Amen. After three days, Luke is setting us up for the best news to ever be uttered. Now on the third day, his tomb will be empty. Mary and Joseph, frantic, looking for their lost son, just as frantic as you would be if you lost your child or your grandchild. There's no cell phones. There's no way to connect. It's literally three days, and they finally find Jesus, and they rebuke the runaway. But it's after three days. In three days, everything changes. They find their son. He's alive. He's well. He's among the teachers discussing the law of Moses, amazing the religious authorities. And when God amazes you in Luke, he's doing something supernatural. After three days, he is found. Luke wants you to tuck that away in your mind as a reader. And then at the end, There'll be another third day, and he'll be found again. He will not be amongst the dead. He will be risen. He will be alive. After three days, the Lord is found. Maybe there's some of you here this morning who recently, in this very harsh winter that we've had, and regard to sickness and death. Maybe the word for Luke is for you today. After three days, Jesus is found. He's among the living. And the good news of the gospels of the resurrection of Jesus is not about the empty tomb of a solitary rabbi, but rather it's about the beginning of the age of resurrection that all who have called Jesus Lord will likewise be found alive after three days. He's alive. Right here, when Jesus is just 12, we find in the foreshadowing the hope of the whole gospel. After three days, they found him. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for the hope of the gospel. Thank you for the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for the empty tomb of our Lord. And thank you that even as a boy, that Jesus is busy about his father's agenda, meaning Yahweh's agenda. Maybe there's someone here this morning or someone live streaming or watching by way of television. It is her day. It is his day to find Jesus to find the hope of the gospel, the power of eternal life. Maybe there are others who need to find a church home that, that teaches and preaches God's perfect word. And in his name we pray, amen.